Okay, Father in heaven, as we open thy word again this afternoon hour, we look to thee, the source of all life, the one who is sustaining us now, the one who even allows us to draw breath. Dear Father, thou art so vast, so beyond our comprehension, so worthy of, of, of praise and glory and honor, and yet we can know thee. Even, even at this time, in this moment, we can read thy word, we can read of Jesus Christ, and we can know him in a deeper way than just the words on the page. We can, we can know him in our lives, in every decision that we make, every thought that we think, every word that we speak, dear Father, we can know thee as we follow on after Jesus Christ. Dear Father, we ask that thou wouldst be with us as we open thy word, as we read out of it. Dear Lord, we want to glorify thee and we want to be fed in our inner man. We hunger and we thirst after this righteousness, dear Father. And we pray that that passion would be enkindled in our breasts and those uh, around us, dear Father, many more, even in this church, dear Father, that we would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that would not only fill these benches but would fill lives with acts of service for thee, with acts of 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 praise and honor and glory. Dear Father, that is our prayer. It's a um, beyond us. We cannot do this, dear Father, but it is through thy spirit that we are able to do these things. We pray in, in the name of thy spirit, Jesus. Christ's spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, amen. I'd like to read out of the last chapter in John's Gospel. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, or the twin, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it, draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, about three hundred feet, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. 
Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I've read to the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. We have, as it were here, um, an epilogue to the end of John's gospel. If you're familiar with the term, if you ever read a book, there's like a little... Sometimes there'll be a little section at the end of the book that kind of wraps everything up for you or answers some questions that you had or kind of tells you what happened to some of the characters, an epilogue. Because if you look at the, 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 the last two verses of the previous chapter, that seems like a definitive statement, a summary of the gospel. Those last two verses, chapter 20, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that believing you might have life through his name. That seems to be a summation, a summary of, of, of this gospel of John. This is why John's writing, and he kind of ends there. But then he provides one more scene, one more incident, one more event in the interaction of Jesus and his disciples. This was not the last time that, that, that the disciples saw Jesus on this earth. If you remember the Gospel of Matthew, they were all there on that hillside and they watched as he ascended up into heaven. And the angelic beings said, why are, you, why are you gazing up into heaven? But I think this incident, this, this, um, this account that he chooses to close his gospel with is probably something that he had been thinking about. And he thought it was a suitable way to end and a suitable thing to leave with you as the reader, as the one who's read this gospel now and what are you going to do with this Jesus? And that is because of, I think, some words that were still ringing in his mind many, many years later as he wrote this gospel. And those words are in verse 19 here where, he, where Jesus says to Peter to follow me. This is the thing he wants to leave with each one of us. Now that we know the gospel, now that we have to make a decision, are we going to follow and believe this Jesus Christ? Are we going to believe in his name? We have to decide, are we going to follow him or not? This was obviously written many years later. This was written after Peter's death. As he says here, he, it, it makes it clear that, that um, what Jesus had said to Peter about how he was going to end his life, his end of his life, he said, verse 19, this spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. So I think it was only after Peter had died that they knew for certain this was what the Lord had meant when he said this to Peter about stretching forth your hands. And, and we know that the history has it, church history has it that Peter was crucified. He was crucified upside down in the time of Nero because he felt unworthy to be crucified upright the way the Lord had been. So I think these words, follow me, were ringing in, in John's mind and had rung, had been, a, as it were, a, a guidepost, a, a, a direction for him. It's interesting because, you know, in an epilogue, it's considered good, um, good form or, or good writing technique. If you kind of come full circle, if you kind of come back to the beginning, and I don't want to say this is just literary, a literary device, it's not that. But the, the one who created us with an appreciation of, of the completeness of all things, when we come back again to the beginning where we started from, is the one that here... In this miracle, he does the same thing that he did when he called the disciples three years ago. The same type of miracle, right? Where it was the, they had fished all night, caught nothing, not a bite. And then Jesus from the shore says, gives them an instruction, cast on the other side. Or in this case, he says, just cast. Oh, he says, in this case, cast the net on the right side of the ship. And and, and the other case, he said, cast again. And they did it. And a miraculous uh, event happens. There's this huge, John, all those years later, remembers the number of fish that were in the net, 153. So that's stuck in his mind. That was something that, uh, that had you know, 
I don't think there's any extra significance in it other than that this is an eyewitness detail. This is something he remembered, something he put in as an indication. Yeah, I was there. We counted the fish. This was, you know, every fisherman remembers his biggest catch, right? So he had come full circle in doing the same miracle, the same as he'd called three years before he called those same disciples to follow him. Now, in the same sense, in a bigger sense, in a, in a, yeah, a bigger sense, he's calling them again to follow him. Now that he is in heaven, now that he's gone to his father, he is still calling them to follow him, which is something to think about, too. You know, usually when, when someone says, follow me, that implies they're going somewhere, right? Follow me, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere. And yet, Jesus is in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. But he is not by any means static. He is still doing, he is still working today. What's he doing? He's upholding, he's sustaining, he's, he's uh, nurturing his children. He's calling, he's rescuing the lost. That's what he's doing today, actively. And we're called in the same way to follow him. That's what the call of the disciples now. Follow me, not only to learn of me, but to do what I do what I am doing now in the world, though, though you cannot see me physically. So he comes full circle in this account. There's some interesting interaction that happens on either side of this command to Peter, follow me. And the first one is that question, that, that question, lovest thou me? Verse 15, so when they had dined, and before we even get there, think about that. When they had dined, Jesus invited them. He provided everything. He provided this meal. So even after this fish, that the great catch of fish that they had caught, they come to shore and they see, again miraculously, coals of fire, fish, and bread there. He, had, he provided food for them. He said, bring your fish. Add to the meal. He provides the meal. He invites them. He is the servant, as it were. After doing that, inviting them to come and dine, providing for them, then he asks very, I think, very solemnly and, and formally, look how he addresses Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And this is the prelude. This is the, the thing to get us thinking before that command, that invitation to follow him. Lovest thou me more than these? Remember, three years ago, that first time that Jesus had done that miracle, what was Peter's reaction after, after that great catch of fish? He fell on his knees and he said, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. And I think in, this, in some way, this interaction, again, is, is a probing of the heart, an examining of himself. Lovest thou me more than these? What is Jesus referring to? What's the these that he's referring to? It could be the fish. That's one possible interpretation. Maybe he's gesturing to the fish. He's saying, do you love me more than these, than, than, than this occupation of a fisherman? And if he meant that, 
he was abundantly showing, had abundantly showed through this incident before, um, that Peter didn't need to worry about going back to fishing anymore. He had a bigger occupation, a more important thing than, than, than fishing. Because Jesus could abundantly provide for his physical needs, miraculously, what he needed, when he needed it. And he didn't need to follow that any, anymore. Just the same way that, that we don't need to follow mammon anymore. Even though we have jobs, we have occupations, things that we need to do. It's interesting, he, he tells the disciples to you know, bring everything to shore. Don't waste the fish. Use it. But we don't need to follow our occupations. We don't need to follow, we don't need to be career-driven or, or money-driven we cannot be career-driven or money-driven if we want to follow Jesus. That's one thing to note from this. These disciples, they made it abundantly clear. They left what they had been occupied with and, and threw themselves completely and fully into following Jesus, as you can see in the, the rest of the New Testament. So if Jesus meant, lovest thou me more than these, and he was referring to the fish, it's abundantly clear that the answer was, don't follow those material things. If Jesus was referring instead to the disciples, that could be another possibility. He says, lovest thou me more than these? And he was referring and pointing back to the other disciples. Maybe that was a, a probing of Peter's heart again. Peter had made the claim, he says, if any, everyone else, though everyone else be offended in you, I will not be offended in you. I will not stumble. I will not fall away. I, basically implying, I love you more than everyone else. That had just right before Jesus was crucified. So Jesus maybe have been saying to him, do you love me more than these? Had Peter's actions borne out that he loved the most? He had denied the Lord three times. They all had, had fled. They all had, had, had run this shows me, too, that following Jesus is not a matter of relying upon my own strength or my own willpower. I just have to double down and do harder. That was Peter before the crucifixion. That was him saying, I'm, I'm able to do it. We have a sword. We have, we have the means. We're going to, this will never happen to you. His own strength, his own understanding. That's not following Christ. That's not the definition of following him. Lovest thou me more than these? So if, even if it, is, if it is the fish, if it's the other disciples, maybe it could be both. I don't know. I, I don't compl complain, uh, claim complete understanding of this. But I do, by God's grace, understand that Jesus is ultimately saying, following me means love. Nothing less, nothing more than that. Do you love me? And that's really the essence. Ultimately, that's what following Christ means. It means to love him. These words here, uh, it's not clear in the English, but there's actually different words for love that are going on here. The, the, the first time that Jesus says, lovest thou me, he uses the word agape. He uses the word which, which means a total commitment, a, a selfless love. And Peter's response is, Phileo, which is, which is the, the affection type of love. Lord, I, I love you. He's not willing to claim that agape love, that complete, the total 
And Jesus comes back and says the second time, lovest thou me agapeo? And Peter then says, phileo. And then the third time Jesus says, do you love me even with the phileo? So I think it's a gentle probing of the heart. And, and Peter's response is beautiful too because it's a humbled response. It's a response of, I'm not confident anymore in, I, in, in myself, in grand claims. You know, I will never leave you. I'll never depart. Lord, you know I love you. Weak and imperfect as my love is, I love you. You know all things, as he says here at the end. Thou knowest all things. And I think this is the way God works with me sometimes, too, as he probes my heart. After I say grand things about the way things ought to be and they should be uh, um, what I believe in the Bible, and then it's shown to me, I failed again. I denied the Lord in this way or the other way. I was not loving him the way I ought to. And the Lord comes back to me very graciously and says, do you love me? Do you love me? This is what following me means. And in my weakness, my affection, my my emotion, in my weakness, Christ is calling me from that, through that, to a total commitment to him to agape love, to that complete. That's what following him is. It's not a, he is so gracious in this. And he was so gracious to Peter as he reproved him, as he gently reminded him, as he laid out, in some sense, the course before him, the difficult course in verse 18. What a gracious Lord. And that was the prelude to follow me. You know, Peter's reaction after that. We heard uh, recently in Brother Edmund's uh, sermon, Moses in the Burning Bush, about the call of God and then the different excuses Moses had, the different things he made. And there is a bit of that here too. Peter turning about seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. This is John, the writer of the gospel. And he says, what about him? And Jesus' response is basically, it's none of your business. See, following Christ is ultimately a you and him thing. It does not, in some sense, involve anyone else. It's just you and just him. You're never going to be able to point to someone else and say, he was the reason I didn't follow, or he was the reason that my following was so bad or so poor. No, it's just you and Jesus. That song on the Jericho Road There's room for just two, just Jesus and you, something like that, the song goes, I was thinking about recently. Just the two of you, that's following Jesus. But, again, in this beautiful interaction, it doesn't stop with just that. What's his response? He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Following Christ, if I really love him and follow him, it is going to involve other people. It's going to result. It's going to have an impact on them because that's what he's, he cares about. That's what he is doing right now. He is sustaining and helping and caring for other people. If I want to follow him, I'm going to be doing that too. And Jesus... It's astounding to me, you know, just kind of looking at it from a 
a logical or dispassionate point of view to think this, the Lord of the universe, the one who created all things, who actually came down to earth and um, um, did all these amazing things, now turns all of this over to 12 men, 11 men, who did not have a track record of success that had by every indication had indicated they weren't good followers, they weren't dispassionately not seeing the spiritual side of this. This was turned over, this whole gospel and all the preciousness, all the things that the King of Glory has done for you and for me was entrusted to 11 men that were fallible and weak and would simply fulfill this, enact God's plan through this following. Just as they were, you know, they had their own wills, their own uh, decisions to make. It was all on that in some sense, which is, it's amazing to me, but, but it's now seeing the whole picture, seeing the spiritual aspect of this, I see the wisdom of God. I see Peter in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way through as a pillar of the church. I see him and, and the fruit that comes out from him, the, 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 the care, the, the reaching out to Cornelius, the, 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 the preaching of the sermon, it all comes out now. This is Peter following Christ. So this, this invitation to follow is also a great act of, of, of trust on God's part. What an extension of himself to invite us to follow him. Not a, um, we're not turned into robots. We're not just kind of given some sort of automaton. We operate a certain way. It's an active laying down of the will. This verse 18, where he, Jesus says to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. I think that's, that's the picture of doing our own thing. You dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, you could do what you wanted. But if you're going to follow me, it's going to lead you to places that you don't really want to go on your own, that the natural man wouldn't want to go. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands. And John makes it clear after this that he meant how he was going to die. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. See, following the Lord means a laying down of our own will. And it was going to be this way with Peter, too. To the one who doesn't want to follow, this verse 18 here, this seems horrifying. It seems, oh, I want my own freedom. I want to do my own thing. But the one who has come to the end of himself, the one like Peter who's realized I couldn't get anywhere on my own steam. I denied the Lord three times. I failed utterly and completely. The one who realizes that, this actually is a form of great assurance. That Jesus knows the end already. He knows exactly where he's going to lead you. He knows exactly where it's going to go. He knows exactly how painful it's going to be and exactly what you're going to suffer and yet he still says follow me and it's sufficient it's enough that's a great assurance brother and sister there is great treasure there's great treasure in this verse in this promise that as we follow the lord 
Nothing's going to happen to us outside of his will or outside of his power to uphold and sustain us. And for us to glorify him. See, the one who wants to glorify God, this promise, this verse 18, is a great thing. He's signifying by what death he should glorify God. And that, that was probably Peter's thought as, as he was flipped upside down on that cross. I'm glorifying my Lord. Or maybe it's not that. It wasn't that case for John. Actually, John was probably so old at this point that there was a rumor going around that he wouldn't die. Some, some of the brethren, you know, they knew of this account. They knew what Jesus had said about, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? What he'd said to Peter. Some people kind of ran with that or misinterpreted it, and they thought, well, John's not going to die. And he was probably the only one of the original disciples that was alive at this point, maybe 90 plus, writing this account. And at this point, he wants to set the record straight, clarify a few things and say, no, no, no. He said, if I will, that he tarry. He didn't say he shall not die, as he clarifies that. And I think that's probably one thing he had to do in this gospel, too, just to clear things up for people. And then he takes this moment so wonderfully to reveal that he is the one actually that wrote this. This is the disciple which testified to these things. If you read through the Gospel of John, there's often referred to another disciple, another disciple whom the Lord loved at the Last Supper, as he referred, referred to here, the one who leaned on his breast. The writer of this Gospel is revealed to be the one that was, one of the ones that was there the whole time. You know, there were certain things that only happened with that inner circle, the three, Peter, James, and John, Certain, certain uh, events that were reserved for that inner circle, this is one of those people that was there, that saw the whole thing. And now at the end of his life, he sees the need to pass that on to you, this urgency, this, this, this call of the Lord to follow him. May the Lord add to whatever was lacking um, of, of what was spoken or meditated upon this passage. May he give us the grace to continue following on through, um, as he probes our hearts, as he asks, do you really love me? As he uses us to affect other people, to call the lost, to sustain and uphold, may he give us that grace to follow him in all things. We begin the chapter with Peter saying, I go a fishing, and the others saying, Yes, we'll go with you. I think the disciples were confused. They didn't know what to do. They thought, Well, we might as well go fishing. Well, he told us to go to Galilee. Okay, now we're here. What do we do? I don't know. I'm reading into that maybe a little bit. But well, we flip the page into the, into the, 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 the letter, the Acts of the Apostles, and we see a totally different Peter. We see someone who's not interested in fishing anymore, who's not interested in, just doesn't have time to, to cool his heels, as it were, but one who is in the Lord's will, who's in the thick of it, one who has moved from this affectionate, tentative love, this phileo, to agape, to total commitment. 
And my friend outside of Christ, that's what following Christ means. That's the difference between, well, I'm, I'm not quite certain, I'm, to total dedication and following of him in everything. That's the path the disciples walk. That's the path we are asked to walk each and every day. And my friend outside of Christ who has not committed yourself fully to him and pledged yourself in everything, turned everything over to him, that's what he's asking you now this afternoon hour to follow him. One more thought in closing here, the last verse, verse 25. You know, I used to read this verse and kind of smile a little bit to myself. Here it says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And I would smile a little bit and think, well, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Come on. You know, the world's big. You know how many words you can fit in a book? And while even nowadays with digital storage, I'm sure all the things that Jesus did. Maybe John was just expressing that I just selected a few incidents. This is selective. It's not exhaustive. But in another sense, I think this should be taken literally. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about the Lord of the universe. We're talking about the one who, in Hebrews 1, says he upholds all things by the word of his power. In Colossians, he says all things were made by him and, and before he, all things consist by him. If everything were to be written and it, everything could not be written about such a, a being, the world, this little world, could not contain that, could not contain all the things that he has done, is doing. This is the Lord that we... <laughs> that he's referring to you to here at the end. Yes, the world itself cannot contain all the things written about this man, Jesus, this God-man, Jesus. And yet, we can find in basically what amounts to a short story length, 15,000 words or so in the Gospel of John, we can find all we need to know about this man to believe on him, to be changed, and to follow him. That is the amazing power of the gospel. A short account. Just, I don't know how many pages it is. What, 20, 30 pages maybe, if you count them up, depending on your Bible size? A short account of the few things that Jesus selected. And from that, you and I can learn to follow the Lord of the universe, the one who created all things and before whom, by whom all things consist. That, to me, is amazing. That's the invitation that's offered this afternoon hour. To follow him, to become more like him. What an honor and what a privilege, what a, what a, a glory. Let's realize what a high and heavenly calling we have this week and all the days the Lord will give us. With that, we conclude this service.